You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everybody, this is Tristra Year Jaeger, the strategist and writer for Rock, Paper, Scissors, and you are back joining us for another episode of Music Tectonics. And this episode is going to be a little different. First of all, you have me, your uh, regular irregular host, and then we have a, a little surprise, an irregular irregular host. Oh my gosh, do not say that five times fast. Um, Eleanor Rust, who is our amazing director of marketing and also a scholar of classics and a brilliant mind all around. Oh, thanks, Tristra. Yeah, so Eleanor is one of uh, the most amazing folks at RPS, which is filled with amazing people. And today we're gonna talk a little bit about some issues that uh, may seem a little meta for a music tech uh, uh, podcast, but they actually are quite relevant to the times. We're all facing some challenges right now. Many of us are a little sad that we can't meet our colleagues in person. And anyway, we are in a global business now that's increasingly global, scattered, and filled with people who need to communicate remotely in interesting ways and collaborate remotely, sometimes using even audio formats that used to require people to be in an intimate setting in a studio, um, such as we are right now, or to be, uh, you know, in, in, at least in the same geographical location. Uh, so, you know, with the cancellation of a lot of meetings coming up with a lot of opportunities for us to get together and hang together in person, um, kind of, you know, put on pause for the time being, wisely so, um, we wanted to dig a little bit into uh, the the art and craft of remote communication and collaboration, which is something we do every day at Rock, Paper, Scissors. And I'm sure a lot of you do out there, whether you're talking about a dev team or communications with partners or other far-flung people. And if you haven't been doing it, you're going to start doing it now. Yeah, for better or for worse. So um, one thing that sparked this, uh, this, this interest in this topic was something that I, um, I, I often pester Eleanor with random articles that I find that are really interesting that are a little bit outside of our basic wheelhouse at RPS. Um, but one thing I found was ICANN is holding their first global conference a, in a virtual setting. So instead of having everybody in a room, they decided they were going to try to do this via technology. And they had a really interesting set of tips about how to make the most of a virtual meeting. And some of them are pretty basic, like be on mute when you get on, which is like, you know. Use a headset. Yeah. <laughs> Same name. <laughs> some cool, some stuff that is uh, is absolutely like you know uh, a great foundation. And as someone who has heard all sorts of exciting things going on in the background in people's <laughs> lives, uh, the mute button is indeed your friend, and it's been my friend in many cases. Um, see the incident with the tornado sirens and the baby. Oh. Um, yeah, but there one really cool thing that they brought up that I loved was that they they pointed out that they're dealing with a global community. And there are a lot of different cultures coming to the table and they have different communication styles. And I'm just going to quote directly, without the benefit of facial expressions and body language, misunderstandings can occur. And then they go on to say, try to be succinct when interacting virtually to avoid mis miscommunications, which is kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a real challenge, especially for people with uh, different communication styles. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about how some cultural backgrounds, it's really important to talk around a subject. It's really important to add all these linguistic softeners like, you know, to involve other people in the conversation, but don't really have an easy translation in other languages. Actually thinking about being succinct is really hard. 
Yes, and I'm sure there are instances where that's not as big a deal, but in general, I think it's an interesting guideline. Um, And I want to go back, though, to something that would uh, actually make it a little hard to be quite so straight and to the point, and that is trying to wrap our brains around how uh, cultural differences play into remote communication. Um, We have clients from all over the world, and before that, as everyone probably knows, we were involved with musicians who hailed from all sorts of backgrounds all around the planet. And so figuring out ways to communicate with people you can't see and you may not know who are coming from cultural uh, milieu that you know nothing about is a real challenge of remote communication. So it requires a lot of empathy and empathy that uh, only has one trigger, which is that sound that you're getting across in the on the phone or through the headset. And the video can help, but you also it also can be difficult if someone's dealing with limited, you know, limited uh, capacity to to send video. Mm-hmm. Video can get awfully wonky, awfully fast. So what are some tips that you've learned over the years uh, of communicating remotely with clients from other cultural backgrounds? Do you have any uh, insight that you can share with people who are struggling with the same issue right now? I think to contradict, I can a little bit. Um, Brevity may not be your friend in this case, especially if it's a relatively new connection or it's someone that you're trying to break new ground with. Um, I would give yourself a little extra time and space to just shoot the shit. Um, And at least with Um, more I mean again everyone's a little different and you have to feel people out but just getting to know somebody and trying to find some common ground that maybe isn't directly on topic whether it's I don't know I mean in America we love to talk about our pets Midwesterners Mm -hmm. we love to talk about the weather because it's always different every five seconds so just finding some human topic that uh, reaffirms your humanity and builds a little bit of that rapport between people so almost always you can find some overlap with people, even people from very, 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 very different backgrounds um, and who are coming to you with a different set of expectations or an agenda that is, you know, widely divergent from Mm -hmm. yours. There's always something you have in common. And taking the time to find that is really important. Um, What do you think about talking about differences? Does that come in handy? Or do you prefer to focus on what's common? I think that can be really handy, especially if you're having trouble, like if, say, you keep interrupting each other by accident. Um, I've had this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I am an interrupter. I am a talk over. And that can often rub people the wrong way if they don't know that I'm just really, really, really excited about what they have to say. And I can't wait to either affirm that or to you know, zig a little bit in a different direction so we can take the conversation somewhere else, just mildly, um, without saying that I'm not listening to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But not everybody is a simultaneous listener and talker. (laughs) So I think it is, maybe there should be um, a set of, uh, you know, maybe you you kind of run through um, beforehand, you know, when you're collaborating with someone for the first time, this is my work style. I tend to talk a lot. Feel free to interrupt me. Um, you know, shout loud if I'm uh, getting off topic. Really give people permission mm-hmm. to um, intervene if you are not suiting their mm-hmm. their needs. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's the other. That's another good point about I mean, thinking about communication style. If you have someone that's a little more reserved, who is a person of few words, maybe make 
conscious space for that person in a meeting. Mm. Um, and you only learn about their, their style if you really can spend time with them, spend time shooting that shit. Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of room for misunderstandings if that person feels like they didn't get an opportunity just because you have two very excitable uh, chatterboxes who are going at it and have no problem just taking up all the airspace. Mm -hmm. So I, I think trying to, the way you would in a meeting, I mean, maybe not calling people out, like be like, so Bruce, what do you have to say? I mean, that's always a <laughs> shitty thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but find a way ahead of time to be, be like, uh, you know, Bruce, I'd love to hear your input on this if you have anything to say. And then Bruce can always say like, nope. <laughs> That's what Bruce wants to yeah. do. Yeah. Those sound like skills you've developed from years of interviewing. I love interviewing. Um, and it's actually funny. Anyone who knows me knows that once I get going, like now, I can talk for a long time. Interviewing is one of those things that makes me do the opposite of my instincts, which is listen. Mm -hmm. And listening is really, really one of the most... For me, it's a very, this is going to sound a little cheesy. I'm going to get a little woo here. A little light. It's very life-affirming mm. to really listen to what another person says. One thing, I know if you're like me and you're a little bit scattershot when it comes, like your brain is going in 50 directions, I find it really helpful to take near verbatim notes mm. during meetings mm -hmm. or during interviews. So mm -hmm. if there's an important group discussion that you have going on virtually and you're really distractible, that's okay. Just sit, find a way for you to engage by taking really detailed mm -hmm. notes and you'll probably come out with a really great summary right. of what everyone discussed anyway. And that's a huge asset in these virtual meetings because they can just flow by and you have no idea what everyone just talked about. Right. And your mind can then can then really respond to what's being said uh, on a deeper level uh, rather than I have the same problem of, of wanting to of wanting to jump off to a different direction. So I learned about taking detailed notes as that sort of almost meditative focus uh, during grad school <laughs> that um, I would tend to want to, you know, chase rabbits down holes. But uh, taking those detailed notes um, helps engage a deeper uh, part of your brain, it feels like. Absolutely. And the, you know, the, uh, the since we're talking about a music tech podcast the Are audio we? stuff I know we totally it's more just like join join Eleanor and Trister for for some for some tea and we'll we'll chat um but we're also we also need to think about the audio quality and there are things that make it really hard that's to true. hear you and listen to you yeah so if you are in a space that's super loud especially if you're speaking a language that's not your native language and you need to hear everybody like really try to maybe encourage people ahead of time you could even I, I would even think it would be okay to reach out and be like you know I am you know I'm not I'm pretty good I'm a pretty good French speaker but I'm not completely fluent mm -hmm. so if everyone could make sure you're not in the middle of um, a construction site mm -hmm. that would be really great um, so I think that's that we're going to have to develop a whole etiquette around mm -hmm. um, you know just enabling maximum listening yeah and minimizing distractions. Yeah, and at least for uh, for folks who are interested, who are in the music industry, at least that's not um, a secondary concern the way it is for many people in business. It's We want the technology to be transparent when we're doing conference calls and remote work. We want it to disappear, but it's not there yet. Yeah, and if you like to mess with audio, then like conference calls, or maybe that's a new opportunity to yeah. explore. <laughs> yeah, right. We've got connectivity. Now, can we get quality? And, you know, that's a big, we, you know, we've had a, a past, uh, well, actually a future client as well, um, Sound Whale, um, and they have worked really hard on reducing things like latency. And latency is a big, you know, 
bugaboo for for some of mm-hmm. us um, in that, especially if you're dealing with overseas uh, communications, it can be very strange because you keep stepping on people all the time because mm-hmm. they haven't actually finished that phrase, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you're just getting it, it, a lot of strange jittery things can happen. So yeah, so tell me more about Sound Whale. I mean, now we're we want to get a little bit in, back to the the real music tech side of this that. Right now, everybody's being forced into remote work and collaboration in ways that um, they might not be comfortable with. But that's probably the frontier, not just because of global crises, but because there's so many opportunities now that you can collaborate with people across the globe. And it sounds like Sound Whale is trying to drive that forward for music. Yeah, there's some interesting um, differences between asynchronous and synchronous communication, Mm. and especially when you're dealing with audio So there's been a ton of asynchronous collaboration around the world forever, sending files back and forth. Maybe not forever, like 15, 20 years, right? It feels like forever. Um, Feels like, oh my God, it's been forever. (laughs) Uh, But but now the interesting thing that's happening is because of connectivity other and I think other you know whether we're it's not even 5g it's using you know earlier generations of of mobile data there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do now where you can really get the latency down like low enough so that collaboration in real time synchronously is possible which is really great because it's really really hard to be like okay that was a nice voiceover but could you do it like this and it's like eight hours later so the person's cut it, right the the moment is super important and that that feedback that rapport and so sound whale is basically one of i mean there's a couple of folks working on this so uh this these are just the people we know the best so you know take that as a caveat um but they they've worked really hard to create um the software that allows pretty intuitive um synchronous collaboration via audio and I think that is something kind of like um, what's happening with AI and identification or similarity search. That's mm. one of those new technologies that's going to start seeping in all over the place. Mm-hmm. And people may even build other products on top of that capacity. I also know that there's, you know, a lot of folks are trying to move sound recording really, really uh, firmly onto mobile. Um, that would be huge. Yeah, I mean, there's there's already tons of you know ways you can do little bits and pieces, but to bring it all together into one dedicated uh, sort of workspace mm-hmm. um, would be really really amazing. And and you know maybe you don't need something as heavy as Pro Tools, but you might need something uh, more sophisticated than <laughs> voice notes <laughs> or you know you can put GarageBand on a tablet. You can do all sorts of interesting things. But there's a lot of uh, of cool stuff happening right now that I think will help us collaborate more together. So that right. maybe there's some ways we can fill in the gaps between um, in-person uh, jam sessions or performances. And um, yeah, that sounds fantastic. That. So thinking about putting workstations on phones so you don't have to just use voice notes to record notes and then take it to a different environment, that makes it sound like anybody could make music. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've been talking a little bit about what a future might sound like when instant creation is just in the air, is just a normal part of life, uh, and what might change about how we relate to music. 
Yeah, I think a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, on Music Tectonics and on our blog has been, um, you know, related to more of a lean back experience. But mm -hmm. it was really funny. I was reading, you know, a couple weeks ago, Mark Mulligan had a piece about the age of the artist, which was really exciting and talking about sort of the empowerment of artists and how the power balance has really shifted notably in their favor, which is great. Uh, you know, uh, on the other side, I was thinking, well, what if, but the, also the line between artist and non-artist, quote unquote, consumer, which for some of us uh, who love music dearly always have a little bit of a problem with that word in mm -hmm. the music context, but that's, that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so consumers are becoming artists and artists are becoming consumers. The line is blurring um, much more severely or, or intensely mm -hmm. than it was even like five years ago. I think Dimitri has a seismic shift trading card to that effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, but it, it, And the thing is, though, that people think about stuff like TikTok. They think about, you know, some of the goofier, more ephemeral things. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's going to be some pretty deep expression of people's humanity mm -hmm. that they may or may not choose to preserve. Just like we don't always want to save our, uh, you know, just like Snapchat kind of kind of really tuned into that. Um, and more and more sort of ephemeral social media is out there. At the same time, it's like, you know, uh, why would I want anyone to know about this moment where I came to terms with maybe something quite personal, uh, whether yeah. it's like grief or anger yeah. or disappointment. But music is, you know, an incredible soother, an incredible medium for expressing things that are difficult to put into words. And I could see with this new technology coming out, people could make all sorts of interesting things from parts that could be supplied mm -hmm. by people who are maybe more specialist, um, but that are um, inherently modifiable in some simple ways that allow for great flexibility of emotional expression and coming to terms with people's humanity in the moment. Um, and that really... That really goes back to a deep history of what music has meant for people, both socially and individually. That, that you know, it's really a blip in human history that we've been able to record and share uh, professionals making music at the expense of uh, just normal everyday people doing what they do. Yeah, it's funny. I often, you know, we often hear people are very upset about um, what has happened with the shift to digital music and the fact that there's no quote unquote middle class musicians anymore. Mm. And yet we don't really have great historical data mm -hmm. that, that I mean, this would be really difficult to execute. So there's a reason why we don't have right. it, but um, we don't really know that we can't compare numerically, like how many people were making what kind of living right. um, from music. And a lot of the, the economic exchange probably was not captured in right. any way, shape or form without doing some sort of insane yeah. deep dives into like the archives of some like prominent studio in LA right. or something like that and all the I've, receipts. I've been looking at Bruegel paintings lately and uh, there's so many depictions of you know village festivities or weddings where there's just some people playing bagpipes and yeah. how were those guys paid? Did they farm during the day and bagpipe at night? Did they did they just bagpipe all day long and get paid pennies? And we don't know. A lot of specialist musicians were extremely marginalized. I'm thinking about the uh um, you know the 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 kobzars, like the blind minstrels mm. of um, of, of in, in Ukrainian mm -hmm. tradition. Um, you know these were people that kind of wandered around and played songs. Some of them kind of earthy, some of them very religious, some mm. of them kind of heroic. But 
you kind of got, you know, some food and maybe someone let you sleep in their barn yeah. and then, you know, but you could end up spe- sleeping in the ditch that night. Right. I mean, it's, it is Yeah, not... and a lot of traditions, uh, uh, professional musicians are this, they're necessarily liminal, marginal, that um, there's something uh, culturally powerful about having, having people who don't have a strongly identified social role in their community. Yeah, and anyway, so we've seen really a golden age in the last... 100 years, 125 years of professional musicians. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's so much progress to be made in that in, in that realm and I don't want to uh, belittle anyone's efforts mm-hmm. or or upset at, you know, the ongoing imbalances right. and and need for adjusting. However, if you look back at at the way people used to make music, the most music you had to just make it yourself. And even Mm -hmm. if it was kind of like, I'm just going to take this piece of grass and hum a (laughs) melody because I'm bored off my butt or I have to do this really annoying thing. The sheep are really boring today. Yeah, Yeah, make my own fun. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I have to walk for 12 miles. I better come up with something to distract (laughs) myself from the fact that I'm like wearing really uncomfortable boots and like trotting through about five inches of mud. I mean, we can't wash our hands for 20 seconds without trying to think about what song we're going to sing. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, we everybody needed these these prompts and these ways of of getting your mind off of difficulty Mm -hmm. Um, and or celebrating this amazing moment that you're feeling or just like it's a beautiful day. You go outside. You're like, you know, I walked out one May morning. Like how many folk songs in the English language begin with (laughs) I walked out one May morning and then I and then end with illegitimate offspring. I was driving home last night and um, and I saw a dog and I just had to sing about it. There you go. Yeah, or, that moment is lost in time forever. A little ephemeral music creation. And in, if we could somehow um, make these songs really, really fun, like mm-hmm. there's maybe you need some beats to like yeah. really pay tribute to that dog's awesome, yeah. you know, puppleness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many. I mean, imagine if it was just easy enough to just put that out into the world for a brief moment to share it with somebody across the globe and then have it fade away. And our lives would still be better for it. I think so. I think there could be a new way of, uh, I mean, you could just, it could be a little little thing you send to your friends. It could be somebody else's really loves writing dog songs. Mm-hmm. And you find out you have like a buddy in Sri Lanka who is really into writing songs about animals they see by mm-hmm. the side of the road. And like, before you know it, your life is better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the I think the 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 working we may get back to a new age of this kind of folk music 2.0 where it's people mm. making music in the moment from the materials they have on hand. They just happen to be digital materials, right? With their friends, for their friends, celebrating that moment. Exactly, and just or just having a really good time together, and you know, laughing and. You know, it's just it's the ingenuity. Human ingenuity is really amazing. And so we need to provide people with the tools to, uh, you know, take that ingenuity and and have fun with it and revel in it as Mm -hmm. opposed to making people just, you know, sending people down these channels. Yeah. um, Whether it's like a newsfeed type channel or uh, a really regimented um, technology product that only produces certain kinds mm-hmm. of results. And I think that openness without an infinite amount of choice, but with a limited but very interesting amount yeah. of choices can give people all sorts of opportunities. I love it. I feel like we saw a few sort of glimmers of this future at the AI's Got Talent session at the Music Tectonics Conference in October 2019. Um, I think that was many people's favorite session because we saw demos in which they were really focused on giving 
people who don't think of themselves as musicians. I'm thinking, I guess, particularly of what Dave Park um, said, or maybe, and also Alex Mitchell of Boomy, that people who don't think of themselves as musicians still want to express themselves musically. Um, and we're getting closer to that future where they feel um, like they can express themselves in these interesting ways. One interesting thing too is I think as um, I think interfaces will if hope, hopefully could evolve to meet these needs and um, we could get away from I mean a lot of the way things are designed now have to do with the way studios looked mm. and the kind of uh, layout and needs an audio engineer would have if you're not an audio engineer right. you can totally take a bunch of multicolored triangles and pile them up <laughs> you can have a big rainbow colored thing that you swipe with your finger and it makes these different colors that reflect certain i mean basically we're, we're looking at graphic user interfaces that have a synesthetic quality mm -hmm. which i think is is something that could really spark people's imaginations musically so um yeah there's so many fun things that could happen but remember whenever you go into a teleconference start on mute <laughs> That's the real takeaway here, people. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to a collaborative future for music and a collaborative future for all kinds of work, really. Yeah, and it's uh, it, we live in that weird time when we know all the stuff that we probably never really needed to know about other parts of the world, meaning like like they had a really bad hurricane and mm. you know bad stuff happened, and that can really weigh on people's minds. But the wonderful thing that we get to do is we get to really get to know some people that we would have never ever encountered in our lives and uh and make beautiful music and make them. music together with Aww. them about dogs <laughs> and things yes. that we like <laughs> all right on that on that cheery note everybody thanks for uh sitting in with us and our little conversation i hope that wherever you are you're healthy and that you have a great headset for your next virtual meeting <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. But we also want to remind you that we have a newsletter. Um, if you already subscribe, you know that you get uh, something from me about every two weeks. Uh, you can go to the Music Tectonics website to sign up for that. And that's also where you will first hear about a Music Tectonics conference updates. We're still planning a lot of exciting things to announce in the coming months about October's conference. Conference, so get on my newsletter. Hear from me. Hear from me every couple weeks. Thanks, everybody. It was great to talk to you, Eleanor. Great to talk to you, Trista. Bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.